morning to those of you watching online as well this morning. We are in the fourth week of this study that we're doing together, Questions of Faith. What have we been doing the last several weeks? Week number one, we did a message called, Is the Bible Really the Word of God? Is the Bible really the Word of God? Second week, we talked about suffering. Why would a loving God allow so much suffering, right? Why would a loving God allow so much suffering? The third week, last week, John looked at a message called, you know, why would God or would God send people to hell? People think that, right? So these are questions we have asked in this series. We'll ask another one this morning that we feel, I feel, are not just questions that um, you might say friends of yours or mine have, people who aren't on church on a Sunday morning, but I think a lot of us have as well. What does the Bible really say? And this morning, the question is, am I really a sinner? Right? Am I really a sinner? Seems like a basic question, but I would say this as we launch into this sermon. The reality of sin okay, and its impact, we'll get to what sin is in a minute, I guess, but the reality of sin and its impact is at the very center of the Christian faith, right? If, if there was no such thing as sin, we wouldn't need the Christian faith, period. We wouldn't need to be here this morning. If you or I or my friends did not believe in sin, at least as the Bible will describe it, there would be no need for the wisdom of Scripture. There would be no need for the moral law of God. There would be no need for the ministry of the church, what we're doing here today. There would be no need for the rescuing, redeeming grace of God. We wouldn't need it if there wasn't something called. There would be no bright hope or need for the bright hope of eternity, right? What we think about, what we talk about, the living hope that we see in the scripture. For most of human history, okay, most of human history, the general view of humanity was that sin, we'll call sin, uh, internal brokenness with God, was intrinsic in human nature, right? Whether you, if you look back in history, not even that long, maybe a little bit before uh, our lifetimes, all of human history, whether it was a religious answer or a non-religious answer, most people would say that sin, this brokenness, this self-defeated defeat that we all experience, we are our own worst enemies in a sense. The problems of the world, in a sense, are rooted in human behavior, most people, all of humanity believe that for almost the entire history of the world, okay? That it was intrinsic. One way or the other, it was inside of humanity. Maybe most popularized by the great Alexander Solzhenitsyn, you know, if you remember that great name, the Russian dissident, when, uh, in his, when he won the Nobel Prize for Literature around 1971, said this famous line, the line between good and evil. Okay, this is a guy that lived in the labor camps, right, in the middle of the 20th century, right? The line between good and evil runs not through states, not between classes of people, not between political parties, but the line of good and evil runs right through every human heart, okay? That line would sum up what the general humanity has believed for most of human history. But since that time, okay, more or less, okay, not the, the, the lifetime of a lot of the people in this room, since that time, 
Our society looks at things different. We look at the problems of the world, the ultimate conflicts of the world, as something that is external, right? The problems of the world are external, and they are solved in external ways. Many people would believe, this is, this is you know, everyday understanding in our culture today, that the problems of the world would be solved through greater education, through a greater advancement of science in the greater sense, a, a greater advancement of technology. Most of the conflicts of the world, that's what people believe, that's what our culture believes, what our schools believe, that the, the fundamental problems are solved through science, through education, and through technology. And of course, if we think about it, right, your own lifetime, our own lifetime. I don't know if there has been more medical or technological advances in, in, in our lifetime, certainly not in all the history of the world. It's unbelievable what has happened in our lifetime. Many, many advances have been made, of course, and we're all taking advantage of them Every single day. However, with many of those advances, I don't have to list them all here this morning, many of those advances have also brought with them many great problems. Okay? The 20th century in particular, right? The 20th century in particular, the number of the, the bloodshed in just the 20th century facilitated, of course, in many ways by technology is outpaced the entire rest of human history, okay? The 21st century, by the way, the stakes continually are being raised. I don't know how many of you know the name Jeffrey Hinton. Jeffrey Hinton is, if you read the papers, especially of the last week, because he made the news, is what many people call the godfather of artificial intelligence, he, and along with a couple of his students, are the people that pioneered the original technology not that long ago that is now behind this fast-moving call, train called uh, uh, um, artificial intelligence. Just last Monday, May the 1st, he submitted his resignation to Google where he's worked for the last 10-plus years. And he did it not because he was anti-Google, but he said, I want freedom from the corporate world because I want to talk about the risks of AI, the guy who invented it. And he said, I'm coming to a place where I kind of regret, these are his words, not mine, my life's work. Can you imagine getting to the end of your life or, you know, the end of your career? This guy's like a Steve Jobs or, you know, Einstein. Maybe that's saying a little much, but he's up there. And he's saying, now I'm getting to the end of my career and I'm wondering if this was even worth it. I'm regretting my work. Quote from the article, I console myself with the normal excuse. If I hadn't done it, somebody else would have. AI technologies pose profound risks to society and humanity. It's hard to see how you can prevent the bad actors from using it for bad things. Okay? The problem, of course, is not the technology. The technology in my pocket or yours. The problem is not the technology. It's the people using the technology. Who are those people? Me and you. Okay, that's the point. That's the point. The problem is us. So maybe the more fundamental question really is not, am I really a sinner? Here we are in the 21st century. People don't often believe what they used to believe. Is better question is, what is sin? Right? Before I can decide if I'm a sinner, what actually is sin? Let's look at a passage, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Paul's 
summary. Therefore, Romans 5.12, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, nevertheless, death reigned. In other words, people died even between the time of Adam and the time of Moses. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. Why, how can he say that? Because there were no commands between the time of Adam and Moses. He's making this point. As Adam did... Who is the pattern of the one that comes to him saying, listen, God, breaking God's moral law is what we consider sin. And, 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 and that's been true for the entire history of the Bible. But he's saying, listen, there's something I want to bring to your attention. That sin is something more than simply breaking the law. Sin is, sin is something more than simply stepping over a line. Because death, which is the consequences of sin, God didn't create us to die. Death happened for generations before there ever was a thou shalt not. Commit adultery. There was a thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's stuff. Before there ever was laws to break, death reigned. Okay? Death reigned. The root of sin, he's going to say, is a broken relationship with God. What he says in these three verses, really in the whole, the next seven, we're not going to read them all, but the second half of Romans chapter Five is a broad sweep. Okay, this is a guy doing theology on the fly. A broad sweep of the entire Bible. What happened, why it happened, and what God has done about it. Now, he's referencing Genesis chapter 3, just in a few lines, right? When sin entered the world through one man, verse 14, death reigned from Adam. Listen, there's only one place to find Adam in the Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. So he's making, he's doing a shorthand like all good writers are doing. He's assuming these people have some biblical understanding of the Old Testament. He's referencing Genesis chapter 3. And let me say this first. There's a lot that he doesn't say. Okay, in other words, just like I, I'm trying to make a point. Don't ask me about everything that happened at the Christmas party. I want to tell you about this one conversation I had. You know, he's not, he's not going to tell. There's so many questions that people get caught up with. Some of them good. Some of them maybe not so uh, meaningful about Genesis chapter 3. But he's not going to say a lot. But he does, what he does say is very straightforward in the verses we just read. What does he say? That Adam and Eve did something that brought about a fundamental change in who they were. And that fundamental change in who they were as the progenitors of the human race was inherited by every other person that was ever born, including you and me. That's all he's trying to say, okay? The origin of sin, then you might say, okay, well, what is it? Rob, if it's not, according to Paul in verse 14, that sin is the breaking of the moral law of God because there was no moral law of God. Unless Adam got an early draft, you know, we don't have, we don't know about that. But there, what happened then? What do we know anyway? What does the Bible reveal to us about what happened? What is sin? There was only one command given, as I think many of you know. This is a shorthand. Paul's referencing Genesis three: Do not eat of the tree 
of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me say something about the tree. There's nothing magical about it. I mean, there's books written about this. You know, what, what was in the, you know, was it an apple? Was it a grape? Well, listen, that's a distraction. There's nothing magical about anything in the tree. It was a test of trust, right? It was a test of trust, and they failed it. And what's the fundamental sin? It's wanting to do life on your own terms, right? God created them. Male and female, he blessed them. You are my creature, follow me and I'll, 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 I'll teach you what life is about because I'm the creator of life. And they got to the place and they said, you know what, it's a great environment, the food's great, the weather's great, but we would rather do life on our own terms. It was a test of trust. And they failed it. And something beyond our understanding happened, changed deeply within who they were, and you and I have inherited it. Did they die? It says, with the day you eat of this fruit, you will die. Did they die physically? No, they didn't. They died spiritually. What does that mean? You hear this in church sometimes. What does it mean to die spiritually? It means that thing in you, that thing in me that has beautiful connection with God. The man and woman walked in the garden in the cool of the day. They didn't have to get down and pray. They didn't have to deal with, they didn't have to repent of their sin. They walked with God in perfect harmony. That was broken. That connection with God died. That's what we call spiritual death. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2. Just a way to point that out. As for you, Paul's writing to the New Testament church in Ephesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Well, either he, is he crazy or he's talking about two different kinds of life. You were dead when you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. He's simply saying, listen, he, he's trying to say, listen, there was a death that happened. What is that death? It's not physical death, it's spiritual death. It's alienation, another word, not using this passage, it's alienation from God. It's coming into this world, I don't care what century you came in, what planet you came in, or what planet, one planet, what century you came in, what state you came in, poor, rich, black, white, it doesn't make any difference. There's one thing that's common with all humanity. They come into the world and there's a sense of alienation, a sense that there's something wrong with the world, something wrong with you and me. It's spiritual death. Here's a summary statement. We are, this is so fundamental, but it's, I mean, it's so simple, but it's, if you, if you disagree with this or don't get this, you'll miss so much of everything the Bible is, has to say. We are sinners not because we sin, right? We are, we sin because we're sinners. Do you get that? We don't, you know, we're not trying to, we're doing everything we can to raise our kids and not step over. I'm trying to keep them from becoming, well, no. We, we don't sin and then, ah, oh, now I'm in the class of sinners. We are sinners, therefore we sin. It's part of our nature. And that, and that nature was fundamentally created when the first progenitors of the human race they didn't break the seventh commandment, there wasn't one. They didn't break the sixth commandment, there wasn't one. They didn't break the ninth commandment. It wasn't about coveting their neighbor's goods. There was no such thing. There was one test. I want to do life on my own terms. This is the fundamental sin that's at the core of our experience. 
The root of sin is a broken relationship with God. Second, the result, this is the heart of this passage, is a crisis of identity. I just want you to think a little bit about sin. What is it actually, what's the experience of sin? Think about it. The result of sin is a crisis of identity. But it kind of makes sense if you think about it, right? He created the male and female. He said, listen, I am your God. You are my creation, right? You are, and we even do this in baptism. You are my son. You are my son. See, Jesus was our, was our, Jesus is representing us. We're supposed to hear that you are my son in whom I am well pleased. You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased, right? God confers identity. But when we decide we want to do life on our own, God doesn't, God says, okay, you can do life on your own, right? But now you're out there in the world and there's a crisis of identity. There is not a more misunderstood or missed the point passage in all of the Bible, in my humble opinion, than Genesis chapter 3, okay, which is what Paul's referring to, okay, he's doing a shorthand. I don't know of all the passages we could talk about, you know, this and that, things that people get worked up about or question Christians and non. I don't know that there's a more misunderstood and missed the point passage than Genesis chapter 3, but it's, it's, it's important to revisit it, guys, because this, this is the origin story, right? I mean, this is it. If you miss this, you miss everything. What is Genesis 3? Let me tell you something. People ask, the, it's not about the fruit, right? It's not about the serpent. Who's the serpent? It's not about, why are people not wearing any clothes? You know, I mean, people write books on this stuff. The main point of the account, if, if you trust the Apostle Paul, if he knows what he's talking about, is theological. It's about God and his purposes with the people that he's created. Think of how much God knows that you and I can't even get close to. God doesn't have time to explain everything to you. He's trying to make a point in Genesis chapter 3. It's about God and his purposes. It's an explanation. I would say this to you, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Of why the world is the way that it is. That's the question we're trying to answer. Why is the world the way that it is? Why am I the way that I am? There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, if you add them all up. Only four of them, if you read them, the first two and the last two, talk about a world that's not infected by sin. In other words, the way God created life to be lived, the way God designed life to be lived, Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22. The rest of the entire story. Yes, you're reading about it. God's involved with people, but it's talked about in the context of a world that does not work the way God designed it. The context of a life, the wife does not work the way God designed it. It's very important we get that. And the new heart of the fallen world, what is it? What's the difference between the Atlantis of the Bible? I'm talking about the, the lost civilization of Genesis 1 and 2 and the world that we live in. It's the experience of shame and the deep unease or anxiety that results. Now you say, oh, that sounds very fancy, Pat. That sounds very, where'd you get that? Genesis 2. The last verse in the Bible 
before the old world door was closed is this. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Okay, the Bible's written as a carefully designed book. I believe it's the word of God inspired, et cetera, et cetera, but it's written with a purpose. These people knew what they were doing. It was written after the fact and the writer is trying to tell you something. He doesn't have time to write you know, mountains and mountains of books. You wouldn't read them. He said, let me tell you the difference between the old world and the new one. The world, the way God designed it is this. People walked around before God and before each other with no shame. You say, I can't imagine a world like that. I can't either, except through the revelation of the Bible, verse Genesis 3.10, what happened the next day? He answered, this is Adam answering the Lord, like, hey, where are you, buddy? I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, fear, because I was naked, so I hid. Yes, of course, it's physical nakedness. You don't have to be a uh, you know, a Shakespeare scholar to know he's talking about more than physical nakedness. He's talking about emotional nakedness. He's talking about being known. And he says, now I had this great open relationship with God. Now I got to hide. Right? The, the result of sin was a world that is now, because we decided to launch out and do life on our own, God says, go ahead and do it. Now you're alienated from the life of God and you're out there hungering and trying to find an identity somewhere in the world. When you're broken, when I'm broken, and I'm hiding from God. Our original sin is the pursuit of autonomous freedom from God. Instead of receiving our identity from God, he created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Instead of receiving our identity from God, we want the freedom to create our own. Think about the world that we live in. But it's you and me too. We, I want to do my own thing. I want to define my own sense of who I am. Okay, go for it. Okay? But... Freedom, this kind of freedom, listen very carefully, does not discern the boundaries of life or a freedom that does not discern the boundaries of life. This is the story of Genesis 3. Leaves people highly anxious. Because see, those questions aren't answered for you. You've got to answer them for yourself. So as soon as you say, I'll do life on my own, okay, I'm not going to take my cue from the living God who's going to tell me who I am. Go ahead and do it. But let me tell you something. Your anxiety is going to go through the roof. Right? Because you're trying to answer questions that are beyond your pay grade. And attempts to resolve anxiety, think about this, which is common. We all have it, higher and lower levels. The attempts to resolve anxiety in our culture are largely psychological, economic, right? I need more. And cosmetic. Cosmetic! Think about that. Taking that two extremes in the day that we live in. And they are bound to fail, these attempts at dealing with the anxieties of life, because they don't approach the cause, okay, which is a broken relationship with God. Think, think about this. Much of our society is premised 
on the exploitation of common anxiety. Listen carefully. Through what, Rob? Materialism. I am what I have. See, if I don't, if I don't have, if that fundamental question isn't answered by me, I've got to find a way to answer it. So I'm gonna, I am what I have. Right? I mean, that's so common in our culture. Through materialism. Or through identity politics. I am my tribe and my ethnicity. Right? That's how we want to answer the question. Through sexual identity. I am how I choose to have sex is who I am. Right? That's what we're saying in our culture today. How I choose to have sex, that's the people have been answering that question for thousands of years, but now, now it's risen. That's who I am. I'm answering the question of my identity through how I choose to have sex. Or how I work. Maybe that hits more of us in this room. I am what I do. I am what I do. I was thinking about this. I don't know if this is, well, I don't know how, how good your movie uh, me, uh, um, trivia is. I am what I do. The great Rocky, the original Rocky. I think that's the only one I've actually seen. I know there's a bunch of them. But if you know the story, many of you do. Any Philadelphians in here would know that story. Um, it's, a, it's, 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 it's a beautiful, heroic story. It's been told many, many times in different ways. But it's a story of this street fighter, this club fighter, this loan shark, this nobody, who through a series of circumstances, right, through someone can't do this and someone got sick and this kind of thing, he gets, a, he gets an opportunity to fight the world champion, Apollo Creed. That's the basic setup for the story. But this great scene in the movie, the, the night before the fight, of course, he's freaking out and he's sitting in this room with his girlfriend. And he says in so many words, he goes, I'm going to get creamed. I'm going to get cream. I got no business. Just, he said, I'm a nobody. I was a nobody before this invitation ever came. I'm a nobody. And this guy's going to cream me. And he's going to crack open my head. And she, you know, she tries to console him. But he says, I don't care about losing the fight. All I care about is I want to get to the end of that fight and make the, go the distance. I don't care how much blood's come out of my All I want to do is go, the, I want to hear the bell and go the distance because if I go the distance with Apollo Creed, I will know that I'm not a bum. That's what he says, right? I will know that I'm not a bum. I am what I do, right? Jonathan Edwards, listen to these words. Now these words I'm going to read to you speaking of the result of sin is an identity of crisis. These words were written a, a decade before the Declaration of Independence. There's nothing new under the sun. If our highest goal in life is the good of our family, then we will tend to care less for other families. If the highest goal is for the good of our nation or race, then we will tend to be racist or nationalistic. If our ultimate goal in life is our own individual happiness, then we will put our own economic power ahead of others. If we get our very identity from our political position, then our politics are really about us. Only if God is our ultimate good and life center 
will we find our heart drawn out not only to people of all families, races, and classes, but to the whole world. Was this guy reading our mail? Okay. Sin, the experience of sin, is attempting to find your deepest identity in something other than your relationship with God. I wonder if the people in my gym know that. You know what I'm trying to say? Or do they think I'm a bigot or I'm this or I'm Joe, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Political Party X and it's all about, you know, I'm on the moral high ground. Right? The experience of sin. What is sin fundamentally? It's attempting to find your identity in something other than your relationship with God. And all it does is produce a, cri- a crisis of identity that takes the whole world, your, your friends and mine, your kids and mine, in the wrong direction. In a self-defeating way. Finally, the remedy of our sin is the righteousness of Jesus. Listen to these words. There's hope. Tremendous. Verse 15, Romans, where we left off. The remedy of our sin is the righteousness of Jesus. Romans 5, 15. But, the great buts of the Bible, the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God even be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin, the trust test, and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses. He's making an evaluative comparative statement. And brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned. Right? Through that one man, human race, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, hallelujah, and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Listen, the idea that Christ's obedience has overcome Adam's disobedience this is, the, this is the clue to the entire Bible. This is it. The Bible's whole message is found right here in these verses. In the face of the worst thing that ever happened, the Bible presents the best thing that ever happened. That Jesus called, not in this passage, the second Adam. Lived a life of total faithfulness to God who bore my guilt, bore my sin. He put death and sin to end once for all on the cross. Every sin, not just one. That's what Paul is trying to say. He took on our guilt and he bore our penalty. Listen, when you are, we're going to do this right now, okay? I want you to listen carefully to these words. When you are brokenhearted by the damage of sin, there is nothing more beautiful to you than the redeeming love of God. And let me say this. I've been a Christian for many, many years. 
Rob, Pastor, do, do, is sin still a struggle in your life? Yes. Do you still live in a broken world? Yes. Are you anxious at times? Yes. Do you feel the temptation to identify in something other than the words of what God says about me, to find my identity in materialism, to find my identity here, to find my identity in my work? Yes, I do. Because I live in a broken world. So do you. And this gospel is not just what happens the day you die, the day I die. We, because of what Jesus did, we can receive abundant provision of grace to actually, in this broken world, reign in life, in a manner of speaking, today. Right? That's what the gospel promises you. That's what the gospel When you're brokenhearted by the damage of sin, nothing is more beautiful, that's what I want you to see, than God's redeeming love. He comes in, he says, listen, I did it for you. I bore your sin. I'm even bearing your guilt that we inherit by Adam. And I want to free you. I want to I restore you. He, you know, uh, 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 if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, wait for it, creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. When you recognize and confess the damage sin has done in your life, the damage that sin has done in my life, listen, the damage sin is doing still in my life today as a Christian. This is the point of communion even. When you recognize and confess to God, not to me, the damage that sin has done in your life, nothing is more wonderful than the rescuing power of God's grace. That's what is available to you and me every day as followers of Jesus. We don't have our head in the sand. We live in a broken world that's been plunged into um, a, a place where shame, the man and the woman were naked and they felt no shame. Oh boy, the great Atlantis, the lost civilization. We're headed back there, but that's not where we live today. But you and I today in this broken world have an opportunity to Focus on the redeeming love of God. So I want you to take just a minute. We're, we're done before we take this table. And I want you to think about, use the time. Confess in a sense. Bring before God the areas in your life. You know what they are. Where the damage of sin is doing a work in your life. Doing a work in your relationships. Where this, this broken world, this shame, this, this increased anxiety, this desire to want to find your identity somewhere else. Listen, you know where you struggle. Just think about it. Bring it to mind and say, Jesus, restore me, refresh me, renew me. May you, may the, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, may your life um, take over the areas of brokenness in my life. Re release your grace into my life in a greater way today. So just take a minute or two privately and then we will share in this together. Do your business. Say, talk to God.